0: Welcome to the Rooted and Reaching podcast, a ministry of First Baptist Church in Charlottetown, PEI, Canada. At First Baptist Church, our vision is to be people deeply rooted in the amazing gospel of Jesus Christ, who then reach out into our neighborhood, city, and the world as we live and share the good news. Here is this week's Rooted and Reaching message from FBC Charlottetown. Well, we're wrapping up
1: this uh, current preaching series that we've been in called The Rest of the Story. And we're going to look this morning at literally what is the story of stories. We're not just talking about the rest of a story. We're going to be focused on the rest of the story. The rest of our story. The rest of the story for every person who's ever been born. The story of what the world can expect and more pointedly what Christ followers can expect in the end times. In the final days through the promised return of Jesus Christ. See, our challenge is that this is a story that has been told and foretold us through God's word but hasn't fully unfolded yet. And so the rest of this story, this prophetic story, I mean, the rest of it could very well come to pass at any given moment. And so, but until it does, it kind of makes understanding it a little more difficult. The last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, in some translations, the Revelation of John, other translations call it the Revelation to John, it strikes me as one of those books where if you, you, know, you, you wake up early in the morning and you've got a little extra time and you think, I'm going to spend a little more time on my Bible this morning, I think I'm going to go straight to Revelation, right? But it's one of those books. Page after page, book number 66 of the Bible lays out these details, these mysterious details of the events to take place during the last days of the world. It it forecasts and and it relays to we, the reader, an account of of the final trials that are going to come at the end times, at Jesus' return and his ultimate uh, definitive defeat of Satan. But it can be very, very difficult to understand. That's why we chuckled about spending free time in the book. Because the one who received these words originally, this revelation, the Apostle John, he's a guy in the first century, okay? He's given a vision of something nobody else has ever seen before that hasn't even happened yet, and he's told over and over again, write this down. Use the language that you have to describe in Greek, what you're seeing about the wonder and glory of God at a time that hasn't happened yet. just John, just, you just go ahead and write that down. Go for it. And then 2,000 years plus go by, and we're trying to understand in our language, in our context, what he was trying to write in his language, in his context, about something that hasn't even happened yet. So here we are with the the words of John where he's trying to put so he has things like, I saw what looked like. He's trying. I, I heard what sounded like. He, he's, he's trying. Other times, the details that John offers, frankly, are, are frightening. Uh, as we're about to see, other times they include content that's so unclear, so not obvious to us, that there is actually no universal agreement on what John's actually saying in these passages. And For our purposes this morning, that's what we're going to be looking at. And before we dive into that, to consider this end time message from the book of Revelation, I first want to offer all of us some encouragement that's found in actually a different book in the New Testament, the first letter to the Corinthians written by Paul. In referencing his own story, the Apostle Paul says this in chapter 9, verse 12. He says, for now we see only a reflection, as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now, I know in part. Then, I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. And I think those words are helpful in our context this morning because even Paul, who wrote the majority of what we call the New Testament, is admitting in these words he doesn't actually fully see and by extension understand his own full story, the full story. And so, like him... We're in the same boat. We can see in part, we can understand a little, but we're only going to really fully understand at that time that God decides to reveal what He wants to reveal to us. So until then, we're left to do our best. We're left to dig through and try and understand through the inspiration of the Spirit that when Jesus comes, come quickly, Lord Jesus, when He comes, when the final days are unfolding around us, well, maybe then we'll have some hope of knowing and understanding the rest of this story more fully. But until then, we do our utmost. The million-dollar theological term for discussing and learning about the end times is the word eschatology. Eschatology. It's a word that traditionally means the study of the last things. And and usually it's treated as a discussion about the completion of God's working in this world. Now, most recently, this conversation in the North American church on end times eschatology and theology was inflamed starting around 1995 and through to about 2007 when two guys, Jerry Jenkins and Tim LaHaye, published a series of books called the Left Behind series. A murmur goes through the congregation. Oh, yeah, I know that one. I read them. Clearly others did too. For those that didn't, who didn't get to participate in the murmuring that just happened, what these were was a novelized series of books that were laid out in relatively easy to visualize imagery and language as they told exactly what the authors understood the final days spelled out in the book of Revelation to say. And it starts with the removal of all true Christian believers from earth, and then book by book goes on to describe the authors' understandings of what will happen to all of those unbelievers left behind. Now, you might have picked up twice that I said these were the authors' understandings of the events of the last days. And because that's because there are, and you may not know this either, there are within scholars and theological study actually four different ways that the end times are understood. Four different ways. And that's just one of them. There are four different timelines that people uh, down through the years have committed to as they have read the exact same passages. One lands one place, one lands another place, somebody lands a third place, and then there's a fourth position as well. And all of these verses that we're talking about, we're going to look at this morning. They're in Revelation chapter 20, uh, verses 1 through 10. Revelation 20, 1 through 10. We're going to read that passage together, and it picks up, uh, for some context here, directly following a, a, a mysterious description of a rider on a white horse with a sword coming out of his mouth that destroys the kings of the earth and their armies. It's a very stark image, representative uh, of Jesus at his return. And then it's from there that John moves into this key part of our story here this morning as the body of Christ. It picks up at uh, chapter 20, verse 1. And and, uh, John writes this. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain resurrection over such the second death has no power but they will be priests of God and of Christ and they will reign with him for a thousand years and when the thousand years are ended Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth Gog and Magog to gather them for battle their number is like the sand of the sea and they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city but fire came down from heaven and consumed them And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. I can almost guarantee you Pastor Pam has never put together a coloring sheet downstairs for the kids that included this particular piece of scripture. There's a lot in there volumes and volumes have been written to explain, try to explain at least, what we just read. And then volumes and volumes of other things have been written to respond to those volumes and volumes that had been written. And you know, it's impossible in the time that we have available this morning to really look at every direction and every nuance of the mystery that's embedded in the text So instead, I just want to drive us straight to the four timelines that I mentioned earlier. And then I will uh, share with you the one that I personally align with, just so that you know where I land. So the boiled-down version of what I just read to you is that Satan, the enemy of God, and our enemy, in the last days gets locked up for a period of, it says, 1,000 years, now, whether that's a literal 1,000 years or whether that is meant to be a finite period of perfect time represented by the number 1,000, I'll leave that to you, but it says 1,000 years, and then after that, we'll be set free for a shorter length of time, but also taking place in this scene, John sees the saints, the followers of Christ, being slaughtered one after the other for having rejected the call to follow the devil and having maintained their devotion to Jesus. And what's called the first resurrection, these people refuse to take what John calls the mark of the beast and to align themselves with the devil. And they're raised again. And they reign with Jesus again for a thousand years. Once Satan's thousand years of captivity are over, he goes out and deceives the nations and causes great destruction through the use of a false prophet before he's once again confined in a lake of fire where he'll face torment day and night forever. That is like the super high-level Coles Notes version of what we just read in those 10 verses. And arguably the most accepted interpretation of those verses is the one found in the Left Behind books. It's known as, oh, you're going to love this word, premillennialism. Let's parse that word a bit. Pre means before. Millennial, the thousand years. And so this school of thought says that in these 10 verses, ah, So the faithful in Christ are taken in the first resurrection before anything that Satan can do, any trials or tribulations can impact them. They're removed from the earth before the tribulation and trial takes place. So that still deals with the thousand years that Satan is bound, still deals with the first resurrection of the believers of Jesus, but it's just arguing that since those who profess Christ in this life will be received by Christ before the imminent millennial of destruction happens, they're going to be protected from it and will enjoy absolute peace in the presence of Christ the entire time. That's how they read it. For some of us, that makes total sense. Other scholars have, from these exact same verses, developed a different theory. It's called mid Millennialism. In short, it too deals with the binding of Satan for a thousand years, but it reads this same passage as saying, sure, the faithful in Christ are going to be received, resurrected, joined with Christ, but not before Satan's tribulation happens. Rather, it'll be about the midpoint. So they're going to have to live through about half of it first before being united with Christ. Again, same text different interpretation. Well, if pre means before, mid means halfway, that leads us to the third one, post. Post Post-millennialism. You can probably conclude what this one is claiming. Yes, Satan is bound. Yes, Christ returns. Yes, the saints are resurrected and judged, but those saints are going to enjoy a, a thousand years of peace and prosperity with the whole world having first been Christianized and then live through The entire deception, destruction, and tribulation that Satan will cause before they receive their eternal reward. So you see, we have the same verses, the same events being depicted, the same convictions regarding salvation in Christ, but each of these three differ in the exact timeline that those events are going to unfold. Pre-mill, mid-mill, post-mill, but I said there were four. Well, the fourth theory is actually, and here's a confession for you, the one that has always made the most sense to me. As a window into the rest of our story, this is the one that has just spoken loudest to me personally. It's called amillennialism or amillennialism. And it differs from the first three theories because it doesn't actually commit to an inarguable timeline for the events that are going to unfold. This fourth theory invites the reader to just keep in mind what's going to happen, and to be less concerned with the order that it's going to happen in. Just know that it's going to happen. This this fourth position still endorses the thousand years that Satan is bound, still deals with the imminent return of Jesus, still holds to the first resurrection of the believers by Jesus, still deals with the judgment of people, still deals with the period of peace of life and peace on the new earth under the reign of the Messiah. It supports the need to be in a saving relationship with Jesus before that unknown day arrives. But it also supports the authority that God has and will exercise over the timeline. It supports the position that the rest of the story is going to play out and include all that the Scriptures reveal in the Father's perfect timing. And so for me, it has aligned most closely with, with what I think uh, uh, Matthew 24 has to say, where Jesus says, No one but the Father knows when that time will come. No one knows. You can say it'll happen before the tribulation, you can say it'll happen midway through, you can say it'll happen after. But you know what? You're just guessing, and so am I. God knows. Only the Father knows the exact timing. So that, that takes me into kind of our application part of this morning's sermon. We have a rough idea of how the rest of the story will go. So, what do we do with that? What do we do with that knowledge now? How do we put that into action in our respective and individual faith journeys? Well, this morning I would encourage all of us to remember two things as we try to apply what the Word is saying to us this morning. First, I would say, just be aware that there is a rest of the story. Be aware of what the Spirit of God has seen fit to include in the pages of the Scriptures and regard those words with authority. They're God's words. The story of your salvation begins to unfold fully, When Jesus came the first time, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, accept that, accept that your story, your story is actually still playing out and that the rest of the story is going to become clear to you when Christ comes again. But second, do all of that in light of the Apostle Paul's words to the Corinthians that we talked about earlier, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. See, the truth is, despite the best efforts of theologians, scholars, and preachers for years... And notwithstanding which of these four end times theories speaks loudest to you, our role as followers of Jesus isn't actually, actually, never has been, to see and fully understand every facet of what God is going to do in his sovereignty in the last days ahead of time. That's just, well, that's just arrogance. He's God, he is omnipotent, he's omnipresent, he's omniscient. Meaning he's all-powerful, he's everywhere all at once, and he knows everything about everything. We don't. We don't deserve, nor should we presume, to already have the rest of this story mapped out, graphed out, and figured out in advance so that we can decide whether it's true or not. By faith, today, we accept that it's true. But that we can only see a bit of it, shades of it. Possibilities of how it could unfold, but on our best day, all we're likely ever to get while here on earth is just a, a glimpse. We need to be okay with that. Trust God for the rest. No, whether we're premillennial, mid-millennial, post-millennial, a millennial, aren't sure of any of it yet at all, our responsibility isn't actually to have it figured out. Just be ready for it to play out. Be ready. Be at the ready for the return of Christ and for the rest of the story of creation and redemption. Regardless of the timeline, the one that you align with more, which one seems more correct to you, it seems to me more profitable spiritually just to trust in Christ that it will happen. And leave it up to God. In that you can be sure Because because not being ready for the rest of the story is a terrible thing to consider. Having rejected Jesus in this life will cause the rest of a person's life to be one of eternal separation from God's glory. But how beautiful will be the rest of the story for those in the church who are ready today. Church, Jesus is coming again. And when He does, He will usher in the rest of your story, my story, our stories, the rest of the greatest story that's ever been told. As the worship team reconvenes, let me lead us in prayer. Our Father... We hear what your word is saying this morning. We hear what your spirit is pointing us to. Lord, there are some who are absolutely ready and can't wait. Still others, Lord, in this room, not sure, unsure. Father, speak loudly to their hearts. Let them know of the truth of your word. The sureness of your plan and the need on our part simply to be ready for it through Christ. May we choose Jesus today, all of us. May we rest in the hand of God, all of us, as he alone rolls out the
0: rest of our story. You've been listening to the Rooted and Reaching Podcast, a weekly ministry of First Baptist Church in Charlottetown, PEI, Canada. Our theme music is inspired by Ben Sound. For more information or to support the ministries of FBC Charlottetown, please visit our website, myfbc.ca, today. If you found the content of today's podcast encouraging, please be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast and drop us a comment. In addition, consider sharing today's Rooted and Reaching podcast with at least one other person this week who might be blessed through it or become better biblically rooted through it.